The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning. If you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're going to be in the book of Obadiah. That's your favorite book, I know. You've read it a hundred times or not at all. One of those. It is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's only 21 verses. It's between Amos and Jonah. And so I know it's going to be difficult for you to find that. So I'll give you a minute. John the Baptist, talking about Jesus, he says, If I would decrease, that he might increase. Jesus says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that you might have life and have it to the full. Scripture tells us that it is, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It also tells us that God opposes or pushes against or fights against pride. And so I hope that this morning as we get into this short 21-verse book, that we would be saying those same things, that we would decrease so that he might increase, so that God would bring life through Christ and that the enemy would no longer steal or kill or destroy, knowing that God actually opposes pride. Because pride actually gets in the way of our faith. It is a trust in self. And so I hope that you would agree with me this morning that in order to love deeply, there are things that you must deeply hate. You could probably think of many examples. But just one is if you're a parent and you have kids And you love your kids so much, you love your children so deeply that you would actually hate or oppose anything that would actually come to bring them to ruin. And so as we talk about God in the ruins, what we need to understand is that the things in our life that God opposes and that God pushes on and that God actually hates because it makes us, it brings us To ruin. And the reason why I want to start with the observation that in order to love deeply, you have to hate deeply, is because I'm going to tell you something that God hates. And I know that the word hate by itself has a negative ring to it. We don't like that word. But I want you to realize that God's hatred and God's opposition is actually a reflex of his love. You understand that? That because he loves so great, he has great hate for anything that would destroy. And so God hates what he hates because it ruins something that he made beautiful. Obadiah. In the Old Testament, it's the shortest book. We don't know really anything about the prophet. There's 11 other people named Obadiah in the Old Testament, but we don't have any evidence that uh, this prophet is any one of those. So we don't know a whole lot, but what I want to do today is I want to look at the words of Obadiah as uh, God's given him in a vision. I want to make some observations along the way, and then I want to ask the Lord to put that upon us, and so we'll talk a little bit. Let's open up Obadiah 
verse 1. It says, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Everyone say, rise up. He says, rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. The first thing we need to understand, that the prophet is going to give a message from the Lord. Not his own standpoint, it's not his own opinion, it's a message from the Lord. And the first verse is a message um, to the nations against Edom. Edom was made up of descendants from Esau, like Jacob and Esau. And so these descendants of Esau lived in this nation of Edom, and it was just southeast of the Dead Sea, but he's particularly calling these people out and saying that there is a report that's gone out to all the nations to prepare for battle against you, against you, Edom. And then God himself, he addresses Edom directly in verse 2. Behold, I will make you small among the nations, and you shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. That's our verse for today. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the cleft of the rock in your lofty dwellings, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though you nest, your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. The Lord, he's declaring judgment on Edom. And he's saying judgment is coming. And he tells us that the root cause for this opposition, for this judgment, is pride. He says, the pride of your hearts has deceived you, and it's deceived them into thinking that they are secure, flying high, soaring like an eagle. You soar above all the lands, and you look down on everyone else, and you soar like an eagle, and you fly above all the other men. But God says, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. And then he describes how their destruction will be. Look in verse 5. If the, thief, if the thief came to you and plunders came by night, oh, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers come to you, would they not leave gleanings? Let me tell you what that means. In other words, God's judgment upon the proud, upon Edom, God's judgment will bring upon a destruction that will be total. It's, he says, okay, it's not going to be like a thief that breaks into your house and only takes what's valuable. You know, he rummages through and says, okay, I'll take some of this, I'll take some of this, I'll leave some of this. And so after the thief leaves, there's still some, there's still some remains of your belongings. Or he says, like, like someone who goes to pick grapes off the tree. 
You pluck the grapes and you pluck the grapes and you pluck the grapes and after you pluck all the grapes, you can always look at the tree and see a few remnant grapes still remain. He says, when God comes against the proud, there will be nothing left. Look in verse seven. All of your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and the understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. This is what he's saying. The proud will have nowhere to run. They'll have nowhere to go. They'll have no understanding of the fact that destruction is coming. Because in all of their boasting, they will have, have been soaring a, a high above everything else. And then everything that they've acquired in their life will ultimately turn against them. How everything they were proud of, how everything they were so secure of, how everything that they had built over their entire lives, how they built their houses in the cleft of the rock so that not earthquake or, or, or storm would come and knock them out, how they had so much pride in everything that they built would actually turn against them and destroy them. Teman. Teman was a cultural military center where the smartest, the brightest, the greatest intellectual and military elite gathered. But God looks at Teman and says, I'm not impressed. I am not threatened. And then God reminds them that in your prideful intellect will not save you. And your physical pride, the strength that you've built around your whole life, your, your military power, your, your armory will not protect you. God will cut off both the wise and the powerful in their pride. Verse 10. Because of the violence have done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. Verse 12. Do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Listen to this. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Okay, let's talk. When someone is in the bondage of pride, what he does is he takes every opportunity to exalt himself above everyone else. As often as they can. And so pride comes, and apart from the grace of God, what we all tend to do is derive pleasure from another person's failure. Has anyone ever done that? Okay. It's when you see someone that, that maybe is, is kind of running the race 
like you are, but they stumble and they fall, and somewhere inside you're a little happy about that. Can we admit that? Why? Because when we see the failures of others, what it does is it soothes our iniquity and it magnifies our successes. So let's say you're running up a hill. And, you know, it's a race, and everybody's running the race of success, climbing the corporate hill, right? Whatever it is, right, the thing of life. And so what happens is you see your buddy kind of slip or stumble on a rock, and they fall. And then in a couple steps later, you slip and stumble on a rock, and you fall, and you say, oh, it's not so bad because everybody stumbles, So because they stumble, I kind of rejoice because it reminds me of my own iniquities and say, oh, it's okay, my own iniquity is not that bad. And then what happens is everyone's stumbling, everyone's falling, everyone's still running the race. And then when you get to the top and everyone else is still stumbling and falling on the rocks, you feel very, very proud. Look at everyone else. They couldn't make it. I made it. This is who I am. And so these people... They delighted on the inside of the destruction of Judah. They gloated, they boasted, they looted, they rejoiced in their ruin. And so when we see a struggle or we see a calamity or distress of others, what we do is we like to boast inside our hearts too at their misfortune because it doesn't make us look so bad and actually makes us look really better than we are. When in reality... We should have humbled ourselves. We should have seen the fall of others and humbled ourselves and repented of our own pride and our own assurance of self and cried out to the Lord for our own mercy lest we too fall prey to a similar fate. Listen to how Jesus says it in Luke chapter 13. In Luke 13, he says there were some present at that very time who told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, which means they died. And Jesus answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Do you think those Galileans got what they deserved while all the other Galileans just didn't because they weren't as bad people? When he says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Those are some sombering words. Or what about those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Pride. It may be the most dangerous of all sins. Yes, all sin is deadly. The scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. But pride is so dangerous 
because it's sneaky. It grows and it grows. And it doesn't just grow, but it grows from the root of virtue. Strength is a virtue. You ask anyone, do you want to be strong? Yes. I want to be strong. I want to be strong in mind. I want to be strong in my body. I want to be strong in business. I want to be strong in intellect. Yes, I want to be strong. Strong is a virtue. Resolve, perseverance. It's a virtue. Oh, look at them. Look at that person. They never give up. They keep going. Oh, they're doing it right. Oh, man, they make it up tired in the mountain. I'm down here slipping on rocks. Purity. Purity is a virtue. And we marvel. We marvel at our own strengths. We marvel at how strong we are, or, or we marvel at how our ability to keep going and push forward, and we marvel and we look upon uh, ourselves or others and say, and say, oh, I'm pure, I'm honest, I'm upright, not like all those other people out there. I'm actually a good person, as if we accomplish that on our own. And the confidence the confidence we feel in ourselves by, by maybe abstaining from a sin that we know we shouldn't participate in or, or doing things that we know we ought to do because we go there and do these things. Our, our confidence that we feel in defeating a sin can actually carry us further from God. Further than the sin we even defeated. Listen, if you're taking notes, write this down. If we reject a sinful behavior, but welcome pride in our heart, we will lose the war. If we reject sin, but welcome pride, we still lose. You're with me on that. C.S. Lewis said this, the devil loves curing a small fault by giving you a great one. Pride, it lingers in us more than most sins because we fail to see how poisonous and how deadly it really is. Pride, it dilutes our perception of self. It dilutes our, our, our perception of the world around us. It keeps us from seeing the reality. Pride, it cripples our souls. It keeps us focused on ourselves. And we're almost physically incapable of loving others. Why? Because I'm so consumed with myself. Listen, this is a high success and a low discouragement. Oh, woe is me. I'm so overwhelmed with my problems and my discouragement and, and the things that are going on in my life that you are incapable of actually loving other people. Or you're so haughty and boastful and saying, I'm all about my life, my success, my well-being, my comfort, that you are literally incapable of loving others. Pride will destroy us by dragging us to death while making us believe that we're in control. Your pride will lie to you and it will convince you that you're more important. My well-being is the highest in God's affections. That I'm the more important than God. That your perspective is better than his. And Obadiah 3, it says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. 
Pride sets our eyes firmly on ourselves. Listen, our needs, our gifts, our efforts, our comforts, and our problems and failures. And so pride, it leads us away from the sovereignty and the sufficiency and the beauty of God, which is why God is so opposed to it's why God hates it. Because not only does pride cloud our vision of God, but it elevates our vision of self. It not only blinds us to Christ, but it removes our motivation to seek him. Have you ever felt like, I'm not motivated to seek the Lord? Listen to what Psalm 10 says. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. The reason I say pride may be the most dangerous is because pride often wears the appearance of godliness. And we applaud it. We applaud the behavior, we applaud the discipline, and it is possible to wear the appearance of, the gods, of godliness and then lack the power of God. And what happens is it breeds a false confidence and a sure destruction. And listen to me, because if pride goes untreated, if God doesn't oppose our pride, if God doesn't step in and intervene and hate the pride within us, what happens is that pride begins to multiply within me and it spreads through me. Pride will corrupt our best attitudes and our best efforts in everything we do. And some of you, we've come in this morning and we say, well, that's obviously not me because nobody thinks they deal with pride. The, the craziest thing about pride is none of us think we have it. And then we say, oh, uh, this must not conclude me because I don't feel like in my life I'm soaring like an eagle. That must not include me. I don't feel like I've built my life on the cleft of a rock that's sturdy and, and steadfast. I feel actually shaky and unsure in my life a lot of the times. And so what happens is I feel anxious or I feel fearful about any and every situation. I'm, a, I'm afraid to uh, go to church. I'm afraid to go in the restaurant. I'm afraid to meet so-and-so. I'm afraid. I'm just anxious. I'm fearful. I'm worried about today. I'm worried about tomorrow. And you say, well, pride must not be my fight. I live in fear all of the time. Verse 3, the pride of your hearts has deceived you because even in our fear and even in our anxiety and worry, all of those are a result of pride because we fret so much because we don't trust God. 
Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so in those moments of worry, what we mean is that we're not sure that my own ability or my own resources or my own abilities or my own thoughts will actually take care of me in this moment. I don't have what it takes to actually do this thing, and so I'm worried about it. I'll step out of it because I can't do it, and that is a lack of faith, which is pride. So when we continue to live lives in our fragile state of self-reliance, Rather than faith in the sovereignty of God, then our fear and anxiety, as wicked as is, it reveals how proud we are. You cannot negotiate with pride. You cannot compromise with it. And you will not be able to justify it. But we must kill it. Or it will kill us. And if we will ever dare engage, step into the ring and stand toe to toe, gloves off, and face our pride, it will be the hardest battle we will ever face, but it will bring more victory than you will ever know. Pride is not a battle with the enemy around us, it is the battle with the enemy within us. And pride, it speaks to us like a friend. Pride, its counsel sounds a lot like self-protection. Pride promotes promotion and preservation. While pride minimizes, Pride qualifies, pride excuses, pride rationalizes, pride blame shifts our self-exalting behavior, pride damages us and leaves us in ruins. And I say pride is the most dangerous because it can easily deceive us into believing that our pride wants to save us. Or we can, we can create a life Upon our own strength and our own will and our own perseverance and our own own awesomeness that we can actually build a life where we can save ourselves. When in reality, pride is our internal Judas that betrays us with a kiss. Over and over and over again. And so Obadiah, He writes to the people, and he says, all the pride will perish. Every prideful person will be brought down, declares the Lord. But God in Christ has made it possible for you and I to die to our pride without dying for it. And in Christ... We are saved from our pride so that we wouldn't be contemned by our pride. Look in verse 17 in Obadiah. Verse 17. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. Thank God for escape. And it shall be holy. And in the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph shall be a flame. The house of Esau, stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. 
and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. When we live in and with pride, there is no survivor. But God, in his great mercy, has provided a way for us to escape. He is holy, the house of Jacob, the house of Joseph. It represents all of God's people who humble themselves before the Holy One, Jesus Christ, and are saved and escape from the judgment that comes against pride. But the house of Esau represents all of those who say, I don't have any pride, I'm doing fine, I don't need to repent, I can just be a good person, I can just live my life, soar like an eagle, try to build my life in the cleft of a and all of those in the house of Esau represent those who remain in their pride they reject Christ they reject repentance and they reject his way of salvation and escape the glory of God and the pride of man will collide in one of two places the glory of God and the pride of man will collide either on the judgment of Christ or the cross of Christ. And so either we will pay for our sin in judgment or Christ will pay for our sin on the cross. Either pride will kill you or you will receive the death of Jesus for you. God loves you so much to provide an opportunity for you to escape all of your pride and all of your sin, and his name is Jesus. And since pride is a heart issue, and our hearts were created for worship, then pride is a worship issue. We cannot think about ourselves less unless we think about someone else more. It's not just, oh, I just need to get over myself. Oh, I just need to stop doing that. Oh, I just need to stop elevating myself. Oh, I need to just stop worrying about myself. The only way to do that is to put your affections on someone else, on Jesus Christ. We do not defeat pride by thinking more about ourselves, but rather by focusing our hearts and our minds on Jesus we don't become more so that we need Jesus less. We actually need Jesus more so that we would become less. Those who have been humbled by God receive God in the process. And we must trust God and his promise that he is more reliable than our pride. Listen to James 4, 6. If we humble ourselves, he will give more grace. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we humble ourselves, he gives us more grace. More grace will flow the more humble we become. And what we try to do instead, instead of humbling ourselves and going before Christ, what we try to do is structure our lives in such a way that we don't need grace. I just try to be good enough so I don't 
need to rely on Christ and his grace. I'll just become self-righteous. Oh, I thank you, God, for providing a way for me to be saved, but now I'm going to work really, 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 really hard so I don't need you anymore. Listen, God has more grace than you have pride. And I thank him for that. When we experience his grace by humbling ourselves before the Lord, you will find yourself in Christ. We will, we will either be humbled by, by the Lord or we will be humbled before the Lord. First Peter 5. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. In due time, you will be exalted. Humble yourselves by the mighty hand of God. How? By casting all of your cares, casting your cares upon him, casting your anxieties upon him. This means that casting your cares and casting your anxieties on God is a way of humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. Which means that pride keeps us from experiencing God's grace and pride keeps us from casting our anxieties on God in order to receive his grace. Because pride doesn't like to admit we need grace. And pride doesn't like to admit that we have any anxieties. And pride says... I can just take care of it myself. I don't need to confess my sin. I don't need to confess my cares. I don't need to go to the Lord. It'll just work itself out. That's pride. So humbling ourselves before the mighty hand of God is where we find more grace. And we find more grace which means we have to admit that we can't save ourselves, amen? And our fears in life, we cannot quench on our own. Pride likes to admit that the remedy we need is within our own doing. How many times have you met with someone and they say, you know what you need to do? You know what you need to do? You know. What you need to do is humble yourself before the Lord. Humility is not trusting in yourself, but rather trusting in someone else who's wiser and stronger. How hard is that? But first, you have to believe that God is wiser and stronger. <laughs> You have to trust that he is wise and trust that he is sovereign and trust that he is provider and trust that he is good. Those who flee from the wickedness of pride to the holiness of humility will find more grace. Zion, the city of God, it shall be holy, it says. Not because it's filled with people that have never sinned, but rather with people who have been broken and humbled by their sin. We have thrown ourselves down 
We come to the Lord on grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the way that we battle our self-destroying pride is to admit freely that we have it and admit that pride results in untrust and unbelief. So this morning, let us admit that because God loves us so much that he would be willing to do whatever it takes to oppose our pride that leaves us in ruin and then humbly fall before him, cherish him, and receive the grace that is found in him. I'll close with Philippians 2, 8 through 10. It says that Jesus Christ came to us in human form. Can you just get your mind around that for a moment? That God is eternal. Christ always has been and he always will be. And he's seated high and exalted upon his throne, ruling and reigning among all of creation. And he sees the people in ruin because of their pride. He says, I'm going in. He put on flesh. The immortal put on mortal. The infallible put on what could be fallible. Jesus Christ came in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen to me, friend. One day, every mouth will confess that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself to death for all the ways that we live for pride. Listen, no one will stand before the king of kings and boast in their achievements. No one will stand before the king of kings and boast in their physical strength, their religious duties, their spiritual awareness, while at the same time, no one will stand before the Lord of Lords and find affirmation for all of their worry and doubt. The only one, the only way that anyone comes before a holy God, listen to me, is not by standing, but by bowing our hearts, bowing our knees, and by humbly placing our faith in Jesus Christ alone. And by confessing our pride and confessing that Jesus is Lord. And so let's do that together now. Heavenly Father, as your children this morning, we ask for your mercy. We thank you, God that you have made a way for us not to be completely destroyed by our own pride. But God, you are the God of all creation. You are God of the universe, yet Jesus, you humbled yourself 
and you came to us and you dwelt among us. And Lord, you have given us, Jesus, grace upon grace upon grace. And today, oh, Father God, we ask that your glory would shine as we place our faith completely and totally upon Jesus and receive his grace. Lord, we need grace today. Lord, we need grace today. Lord, I ask right now in this moment that as we sit before you, you would give us the grace lay down our pride. That you would break that within us that you oppose. That you would crush like Edom every fear Every anxiety, every boasting, and every gladness that we might have, we see others slip. sustainer I am not strong and I am not mighty I am not wise I am nothing without you may that be the prayer of our hearts make us nothing without you in Jesus name